Church, it is good to see you here this morning. Let's, let's open with a word of prayer, why don't we? Gracious and loving God, we come to you today in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We come to give you thanks and just to celebrate your amazing grace that, that saves us, that changes our lives and, and brings us into your eternal kingdom. We need that amazing grace every single day. But we need it today because we live in a fast-paced world. And each day has its, its challenges. And, and we don't know what it's going to bring. But we do know that your grace is always sufficient, God. And we rejoice in that. By your grace, we can do things that we never thought possible. And we can reach heights we never thought we could reach. And so today, God, we just give you all the thanks. We glorify your matchless name. Lord, when we contemplate the, the chaos, the, the destruction, the turmoil that's going on around the world, our, our hearts are broken, our, our minds are troubled. And so we pray that your presence enter into every situation and that your grace transform every heart and mind of those plotting and planning and scheming to kill, steal, and destroy. God, we pray for those that are locked in conflict in the Middle East. We pray for your peace that passes all understanding to be known, to be felt, to be experienced by everyone affected. We pray that human life would be respected and seen as sacred above any and all political agendas. We ask that this war begin to fade into darkness as your light begins to shine. May hope enter into their hearts and their minds as they imagine a future that isn't visible right now. God, we pray for all the men and women in government positions. Give them divine wisdom and holy boldness as they make decisions on behalf of others. And we pray for your church universal this morning. We are grateful to be called your people. And we ask that you empower us to do what needs to be done when you want it done. God, be with Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And just pour out your spirit on them. On the call that you've got going on in their life. Allow them to accomplish things they never thought were possible. And God, we pray for, for our church and the needs that we have right here among us today. And, and you know each one of us. And, and you look into our hearts and our minds and you understand where we stand before you. So we ask for your special touch and for the assurance that we need from you. We trust that you not only hear our prayers, God, but you answer them. And now, God, just hear us collectively as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples when he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Guys, we started a new series last week called Three Simple Rules. And, and these rules were uh, used by John Wesley in the 1700s really as a guide for uh, the, the members of its small groups that were called the United Societies. And, and these groups were, they were made up of just 
normal, everyday Christians who were longing for a move of the Holy Spirit, and they wanted to be, uh, they wanted a transformed life, and and they knew that a one-hour worship service on a Sunday morning just wasn't going to be enough to provide them with what they were looking for. And we also find that the essence um, of these rules are found in the life of Jesus Christ. Uh, his life was an an expression of the fullness of what loving God and what loving others looks like. And, and that's what we are all trying to accomplish and achieve, right? We, we want to be more like Christ. And so when we implement these simple rules into our lives, they help us think kind of through what we do and why we are doing it. And in reading the Gospels, we discover that, that one of the character traits of, of Jesus was to do no harm. We talked about that last week. That was kind of the, that was the first simple rule. And it sounds simple enough, uh, but when you think about how widespread and how far-reaching our actions are, it's very possible that we unintentionally um, and sometimes unknowingly do harm to others. Our pride and our selfishness, it runs deep. And sometimes we're, we're just unaware of the negative effects that it has on other people. I mean, just minding our own business and taking care of ourselves doesn't exactly accomplish the first simple rule. To do no harm is actually a, a proactive response to all that is evil. And so before we act upon our, our decisions, we've we got to remember that our, that our actions have meaning and they've got purpose and they've got consequences. And so... It's extremely important that every single day we, we intentionally make the decision to invest our efforts into, into bringing healing instead of hurt and wholeness instead of division, harmony with the ways of Jesus instead of with the ways of the world. We mentioned that last week as well. But what does it mean to live our lives in harmony with Jesus? Does it mean we just go to church as often as we can? Does it mean that we sell everything and give it to those who are less fortunate? Maybe it's fasting, praying, living a life of contemplation, or, or perhaps, and, and I think this is probably more accurate, living a life that is in harmony with Jesus is simply a life of righteousness, right? Of, of doing what is right according to God. Now, I know what you may be thinking, because I used to think the same thing, right? Who wants to be labeled righteous? I mean, these days, outside the walls of the church, righteous has so much uh, negative connotation to it that it has really become synonymous with hypocrite or hypocrisy. You know, a lot of people associate righteousness with uh, people who think that they're better than everybody else, and their way is the right way, their belief's the right belief. You know, there's this stereotype of righteous people as being stiff-necked, straight-laced, goody-two-shoes, don't break the rules of any kind of people. That's not what righteous is. And that's what our culture has kind of made it out to be, but actually, righteousness is nothing like that. And we get an appropriate definition of what, what righteous is through the life of Jesus. And so in our scripture this morning, uh, it comes out of the book of Acts. And, and Peter is, is talking with some Gentiles. Um, so those are the people who were not Jewish. He's having this conversation. He's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he's explaining who Jesus was and who Jesus is, it really sums up the meaning of righteousness for us in five words. Let's, let's see if we can pick up on it as I read through this. So this is, this is Acts 10, 
beginning with verse uh, 34. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Hmm. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in, G in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testified about him that every, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There is a whole lot to unpack in that right there. But we're going to focus on this uh, little line that just relates to the message today. So Peter goes through there and he's mentioning um, all of this stuff about Jesus Christ. How he's been ordained by God. He was crucified. He rose from the dead. He appeared to many people. He went around teaching all who were under the power of the devil. You know, this is the guy that God had appointed as, as judge over the living and the dead. And this is the one that the prophets had been testifying about, saying that whoever believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. I mean, among all of these astonishing characteristics of Jesus, Peter then throws in, oh yeah, he's the guy that went around doing good. But why would Peter even mention the seemingly insignificant characteristic of Jesus? Well, apparently it wasn't insignificant to Peter, okay? The things Jesus was doing really stood out to everybody as, as being good. I know people who do good. I try to do good from time to time myself. I know people who are generally kind and nice. But somebody who goes around and purposefully and intentionally is doing things that everybody recognizes as good, that's, that's rare. Yet, as Christians, that's what we're called to do. That's our second simple rule today. Just do good. Do good. We don't need to wait to be asked to do some good deed or, or to provide some needed help. We don't need to wait until circumstances cry out for aid to relieve suffering or to correct a horrible injustice. We have to decide every single day that our way of living is going to come down on the side of doing good in every single situation and circumstance. We can decide that we're going to choose a way of living that nourishes goodness and strengthens community. We can decide that we are going to, to do good even if we are tempted to do something else. When somebody cuts you off in traffic or breaks line at the grocery store or gossips about you or gives you a good old tongue lashing 
we're still going to do good. We're going to respond in a good and positive way because we are seeking righteousness. We're striving to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we were today. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And practicing this rule of, of just of doing good, it's going to help mold and shape us into the image in which we were created, which is the image of God. Not only are we instructed by the words of Jesus to do good, it may actually be built into our DNA. Since we are created in the image of God, it only stands to reason that some of God's characteristics are embedded in our genetic makeup. And so if doing good is a part of who we are, why is it so hard to do on a regular basis? Why doesn't it come naturally? Why do we have to think about it before we do it? Probably because if I put the well-being of others before myself, then I may not get ahead in life. Putting the well-being of others before me from a worldly perspective just doesn't really make any sense, right? But that's our flesh speaking, right? That's our sinful nature talking. God never said that loving him with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves was going to be easy, but it does say that it is essential to our spiritual life, our life of faith, our life with God. These rules may be simple, but when we begin to take the necessary steps to implement them into our lives in an effort to transform the world, we discover just how complicated and costly living with Jesus can become. Jesus tells us in Luke 6, verse 27, he says, love your neighbors, do good. There it is again. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I can think of a lot of things I'd rather do to those people than what he just mentioned right there. But, but if I take my faith seriously in Christ, I must refrain from harmful reactions and defeat evil, not with more evil, but by doing good. And doing good, like doing no harm, it doesn't come naturally. And to be honest, we, we can't really do it through our own power and determination. In fact, we, we have got to learn, we have been so um, Im immersed and, and influenced by the world that we live in, by our culture, that we need help understanding what good is. Which really brings us back to who God is and the image in which we were created. Jesus, Jesus makes a very interesting comment in the gospel of Mark. Um, he's, he's walking down the road. This guy comes running up to him and just falls on his knees before Jesus. And in verse 27, it's Mark 10, verse 27, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God alone. Does anybody find that interesting? See, since we're, we're able to, to see and to, to hear Jesus in the flesh, or at least somebody did, eyewitnesses recorded it, we believe that by faith. Um, they were able to walk with him and do life with him. And because of that, really, Jesus has become the standard that we use for all that is good. And yet Jesus himself says, why you call me good? God alone 
is good. And I think what he's trying to teach this man, what he was teaching those around watching and listening, what he's teaching us in here this morning, this very day, is that God is the standard for what is good. God is holy. God is righteous. Let me keep reading this passage here. It'll become a little more clear, I think. Verse 19, he continues. So the guy says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. This is Jesus. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your mother and father. Jesus starts rattling off the commandments. And this guy's like, yeah, 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 I got all that. I've, I've I've kept all of those since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, yeah, but one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. And at that, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. There are several points in this passage that we could address and learn from, but I want to point out that Jesus' definition of good was not in following the law. So this man came to Jesus. His understanding of salvation, his understanding of redemption was based on that very thing, on doing good things according to their Jewish culture and their customs. They had defined what was good, right? This was a very common belief back in the day for the Jews. Listen to me. It is still a very common belief today among Americans. Most people think that God will one day add up all of their good works and then he will add up all of their bad works and if their good works outweigh their bad works, voila, you get into heaven. Behind this this theology of good works is a misunderstanding of what is good and is a, a superficial understanding of how God is trying to accomplish what is good. Let me say that another way. Doing good is only good if it is done with the right, right, root word of righteous, with the right motives, the right intentions, and done for the benefit of the kingdom of God. So we already mentioned that we all know people who do good things according to society, you know, even if they don't have a personal relationship with their Lord and Savior, they're, they're trying hard. When disaster strikes, they go help. When there's a financial need, they give. They're generous. They're compassionate. They're caring. They're moral. They're ethical. They're nice. They're polite. But none of that gets you closer to God. We can't do what this wealthy man thought he could do. He thought he could do a few good deeds, some religious works, and that would settle his account with God. But Jesus teaches us something different. He teaches us that if, that if we really want to do something good, we have to align ourselves with the Father, with God. We know that our works don't earn us salvation, right? Salvation comes by way of God's grace through our faith. But if our faith is alive and if it's active and it's real, it will lead us to a life of good works that God has prepared for us. God defines what is good, not us. 
God chose us to be, to be holy so that we might belong to him and be devoted to his purposes. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if we want to recapture for ourselves the image in which we were created, we have to submit and surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. Then and only then will we begin to see things differently and begin to do things that are good for the kingdom. Jesus said that the things that he did were the, were the things that the Father was already doing. That his actions were just a reflection of God's heart and God's intentions and God's motives. And as we get closer to Christ through, through prayer and worship and study and just total surrender, we too will begin to reflect the Father. We'll begin to understand what that good thing is that we need to do and then God gives us the Holy Spirit to go do it. Even Jesus didn't claim to know what was good or even how to be good apart from God. In John 9, 3, Jesus, he heals a blind man and, and tells the crowd that, that this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Not his works, the works of God. This is what God is doing. And this healing, it happened on the Sabbath and, and you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? That was another one of their rules that they had made up that they thought was really good. Um, but they weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And so this was kind of um, scandalous in the eyes of the Jews who thought that they were the ones who were living a good life. They were following the rules. They were following the law. But they were completely blinded to what God wanted to do in his kingdom on earth. And in the very next chapter, Jesus is getting questioned by the religious leaders of who he really is. They're like, listen, if you are the Messiah, why don't you just tell us plainly? And Jesus said, I did. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. Everything you've seen me do should show you that the Father and I are one. What he's saying is that he and God are working in unity together. R rather than just declaring, yep, I'm the same person as God, Jesus is saying, listen, we're, we are the same essence. We are, have the same power, the same nature. We have the same intentions. He's declaring with boldness that he and God work together to do what is good for humanity, what is good for creation, and what is good for the kingdom of God. There's a famous uh, saying that's attributed to John Wesley, even though there's no evidence that he actually said it, um, but it goes like this, do all that you can, by all the means that you can, in all the ways that you can, in all the places that you can, to all of the people you can, as long as you ever can. I, I, don't, I don't know who said it, um, but it sounds good. It also sounds extremely exhausting. Does it not? Put that back up there. Listen to this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. That's, I'm tired of just reading it twice. 
This is why we have to rely on God to do his work through us. You, you, can't, you can't do that. I'm just telling you. We need a big dose of the Holy Spirit to be doing stuff like that. Jesus said that he came to serve and not to be served. Our, our culture, though, teaches us really the opposite, teaches us that we're the most important person on the planet, and therefore we should put ourselves first. And from a worldly perspective, that's a great philosophy for somebody who just wants to survive in life. It is terrible advice for somebody who wants to live. I mean, if you want to live, if you want the abundant life that Jesus Christ promises and offers, we've got to give ourselves away. Give, give your life to God and to others, and once you do that, a whole new world will be opened up to you. It's called the kingdom of God, and in it, good things are happening. Let's pray. God, we are grateful. We, we are grateful for the, the peace that comes from you, because it is really only through peace that we're going to be able to, to have a global impact. That, that's what's going to keep us from working ourselves to death trying to make you happy. It, it's when we just kind of a, a, abide in your presence that you transform our hearts and our minds and even our vision as to what we're going to see that is good or not good. God, we, we, want, to, we want to spread the gospel. You told us to go out there and do it. So, so help us really discern what you're wanting us to do as compared to what the world is expecting us to do. And, and, it's, and it's in that that we will find, uh, we will, we'll find new life. And we'll be able to, to bring light into a dark world. And that's what we want to do. We want to be like Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Guys, we've been